word, I'd ask that you please uh, silence all your phones. I heard texts coming in and your ring doorbell at home was going off and all of that. Let's go ahead and silence our phones and we'll turn to Acts chapter 5. I'll be reading through uh, verses 17 to 32. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely, and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officials and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray that through your words this morning, not only in this congregation, but in all tongues and tribes, you will give us the boldness that comes through hope in your Son. Amen. You may be seated. I've received some phone calls this past week where people were surprised to see Satan being crushed under their feet. They were seeing it in mundane ways, what we would call mundane in the true sense of that word, seeing it in each of their callings. Have you seen the crushing of the adversary this past week? In each of your callings, Christ's work is to defeat the work of the adversary. In our work as parents, in our work as teachers, in our work as lawyers or grandmothers, in our work, God is at work. He is at work against chaos and death and impurity and the father of those things, which is the devil. In our passage this morning we see a continuation of a crushing. 
we see that the crushing of the head moves from the figures that we saw in our passage last week into another object. You remember the figures from last week were sickness and the unclean spirit. And this showed us that through the hands of the church, that Christ was working for that crushing. Through, his, through the feet of the church, Christ is crushing. Here we see, not in a figure of sickness or an unclean spirits, but in our, passage, our pas- passage, it is quite obvious that there is a crushing which is happening through bold preaching, which picks up a wonderful Reformation theme for us. The power of the Spirit through the Word. Now, I say bold preaching, and I I wonder if you know why I say that. If you've been following the... Yeah, I'm going to... Is that... Who is that? Is that you guys? I don't know. I think it's your sofa. Or in the jacket. There you go. It's right there. It's okay. I wonder, I'm just wondering what song that is. Sounds like it's from the 70s. It's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start all the way at the beginning. <laughs> now, you need to silence that thing, because next time I've got a flamethrower back here. I'm going to crush that phone. <laughs> it's okay. Hey, did you silence that? Okay. Um, Noah, can you make sure he silenced his phone, please? Come I'm serious. Thank you. We're just going to take a brief pause. You got it? Brad's got it? Okay, Brad's got that. Great. Thank you. We, pl- we, we planned this illustration. <laughs> Are we all ready? All ready. It's funny how we exist in two different places, the world and we were, we were being brought up into the heavens. Our passage this morning is continuing that crushing of the serpent, but not through figures, but through the bold preaching. And I say bold preaching because of the details of Luke's record. You have to see that this is a continuation of the same story. So, for example, in the earlier chapter, chapter 4 and verse 31, notice what they prayed for out of praying Psalm 2. You can see this in 4.30 and 31. They prayed, give us, Lord, boldness of speech. And here you see it unfolding. You see it unfolding in the face of the boldness of the opponents, too. There is a boldness matched with boldness. Before, the Sadducees were unwilling to do certain things to this group of preachers, but now they are doing more and more. But because of Christ answering the prayer, the boldness will continue. In chapter 5, verse 17, the sect of the Pharisees is filled with indignation, it says in the NKJV, which is a kind of jealousy. They therefore put these preachers in prison. After being released by an angel, we read, the Sadducees hauled the apostles before the court again and chided them in verse 26. They will become even more bold in verse 40, which we'll get to next week, where they will beat them. But in verse 42, which we'll get to next week, take a look at the boldness continuing. The answer to the prayer continues. Yet in all of that, the apostolic preachers boldly kept preaching and bringing the word continuing the crushing through the bold preaching. Now this 
picture that is painted before you as a continual story and record of a historical reality brings up a momentary interesting observation that I want to give to you, which is going to lead us to other questions this morning. Last week, for example, I'm really so far have just repeated what we did last week. Last week, we noticed that the embodied Christ through the embodied hands and feet of the church is crushing the head of the serpent. This week, we learned that nevertheless, crushing the serpent will in fact be accompanied by suffering, pain, and even loss of life. And wow, what a different reality than we are used to. And thinking of victory as broad-chested, with no pain, and with complete comfort and relief. The reality that is painted for us here in the picture of the church that while the crushing is going on, so too there will be affliction in the crushing. We can say the same words as the Apostle Paul, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12. And now we can see that there are different kinds of persecution that are out there, different ways in which we will meet suffering and affliction as we seek to rebel against the adversary. Or, as Paul will say, and Luke records in Acts 14.22, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. That is important for us to hold on to if we want to correctly understand who we are as a church. And it leads into a set of questions that are important for us to ask. If we are going to exist within this tension, if you're telling me that the work against the adversary and all of his children is full of affliction still and pain and perhaps even loss of life, how are we to remain not just in existence, not in hiding or like an ostrich with your head buried in the sand. No, what is painted here as a part of the church of the existence is, how will I remain bold? How will I endure in boldness? And this will get personal. Paul will tell us in chapter 20 of Acts that even amongst your own people, you will be persecuted. It is one thing to have the adversary work against you in a person that you do not care about and that you barely know, and it is another one that you consider your brother or your sister. The pain goes so deep and the, the feeling of grief and loss, and yet that is meant to be present in God's wisdom while at the same time you are crushing. How will we continue in boldness even in those kinds of affectionate relationships? Jesus will oppose this to us as saying, it is important that you count the cost if you will be my follower. He will go on to say, you are not worthy of me if you are not willing to give up mother and father and brother and sister. Now we hear those words sometimes theoretically But I hope you can not just hear them, but feel those words and the pain that is associated with the crushing. As we exist within 
that tension? How can we remain even bold in it? The answer is clear in verse 31. This is the answer that everyone here in this report is given. It is the answer that everyone in the church is operating from. And it says this, Him, Jesus, God has exalted to His right hand to be Prince and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. If you were to ask them, what is giving you such boldness? The ultimate answer is that God the Father has exalted this Jesus to his right hand. Sometimes we are expecting the apostles to answer and say, it's because an angel just let me out of prison. Duh. But they would see through the angel to the one who sent the angel. That it is Christ in his exaltation where they will continue to remain bold. And they'll voice it by saying, it is better for me to stand with God than to give in to men. And when they say God, they mean what God is doing through Jesus Christ. In his wisdom, it is this place where they will find boldness even in the midst of affliction. We could say it another way. We could say that we believe that no one can overcome God's will in Christ. And we're talking about his ordained will as opposed to his absolute will in this moment to become even more specific. If you are for God, you cannot lose. Though the crosses and suffering we bear make us look weak, and they do make us look weak, as you, by faith, see Christ carrying his cross, did he not look weak with the thorns, with the way that they mocked him or stripped him? Did they, who really looked like they had the power in the moment? And yet we may look like that, and nevertheless we will in our weakness have a kind of boldness because we know and can see that through Christ we will prevail as his hands and his feet in the accomplishing of the crushing of the adversary. Now that's the truth of the matter. I mean, I just gave it to you. In a sense, we could end right now. But I want to give to you an image And I hope that it's an image that uh, no matter how young you are or how old you are, that you will connect with this image. And I think some of the little kids got excused. So if you can hear me in the other room, little kids, pay attention. Have you ever watched The Lion King? Because we're going to talk about an image from The Lion King. I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page here. Have you seen The Lion King? You have. Anybody else? Some of you are going to have to go home and watch it. I can see you looking at me, the lion what? All right. Yeah, the Lion King. I want to, I want to present an image. It's, a, it's an image that portrays, uh, in a kind of modern fashion, the truth that you just heard. I want this vision to be before you, but I just want it to be the first step as you ascend, and hopefully it will bring you to visions that we see within the Scriptures. There's an image that leads us to see the truth of Christ's exaltation and what it means for us, and it's in the beginning of The Lion King. The Lion King begins with the sun rising over the Serengeti, 
and all of the animals, you can see them coming from various places, their domains, their watering holes, where they would have been eating, and they all come to this one place where there's this rock outcropping or pinnacle. And there on top of the rock is Mufasa, the lion. What is interesting, if you follow the film, is that Mufasa turns his attention and the camera pans with him, not to himself. Somehow, this isn't about just him. The attention is drawn to a new lion cub, and I could go on for a while with this, but a priest comes forward and anoints the newly born cub. And that priest, like Simeon in Luke's record, turns and he goes to the rock precipice, he brings the cub, and there's this famous picture of him thrusting him forth before all of the animals of, of all of the kingdom, and everyone celebrating, seeing the anointed one. And if you have the time to do a philosophical analysis of the Lion King or a theological analysis, which is my burden, you ask this question, why? Why is it configured this way? Why is he high? Why is he out on the edge? Why did the sun rise as opposed to it raining in dark? Why are all of the necks of the antelope looking up? And we know that if we follow the story, the animals look up because they look to the king and they look to the prince to organize everything within their life. They are the, he is the organizing principle of all of the animal groups. They look to him to know their place, where they belong, what their calling is, to understand their world, to not be lost in confusion or chaos. They look for wisdom to accomplish the good. And if times become difficult, if there is another side to the Serengeti where the sun has not risen, but is a kind of elephant graveyard, they will look to him for the solution to be able to fight evil and to overcome evil. And now, when we enter back into the visions that God gives to his prophets, and they relay to us, of course, Lion King is this pale thing with the colors that Christ gives to us. But it is a suitable picture for us. It helps us to see our relationship to him and how we are going to remain bold in everything that we do. We gather in all times looking to whom God has established as the prince and the source of all of our hopes. The sun has risen. He has been anointed and he's, he's being held that we might see him exalted at the right hand. That's what he says here. Why will you not do what we say? Why will you not listen to us? Why do you bring this man's blood on us? Why are you teaching what you're teaching? Why do you live the life that you live? And they say, because God has exalted him to the right hand. I orient everything about me to that fact. That is the significance of the resurrection. It is everything for me. And the ascension. And when their crosses become heavier, and they will, Stephen will be martyred soon. And when your cross becomes heavy, and it will, when pain is present, we still look up knowing that our 
prince will prevail through us. We will see Stephen. See him. He will see Christ ascended at the right hand. That he might continue in boldness even as he is being stoned to death. It is a picture for us. And that, my friends, is how we live bold lives. We gather together with Christ before us as our great Prince and Savior. Our source, the word for Prince here is actually RK, a form of RK. It has to do not just with a kind of just leading, but the source, the origin of all of our hopes. You can see why... Some Bible, biblical writers summarize and say, in Jesus Christ, all of the promises are yes and amen. And a promise is a hope. That is how we will live bold lives. In a word, we, by the gifting of the Holy Spirit, exercise hope in our Prince, who is the source of all of our hopes. And the vision that I gave you earlier from the Lion King is just a picture for you to see what all of life is meant to look like. Do you have your eyes lifted and fixed on the ascended prince? Has the sun risen and the sun been been exalted and, and he's ascended and you're still over with your head and your watering hole? Or have you come to gather and to learn to organize your life according to the origin of all life himself? In the beginning, the sun creating all things and recreating you? Do you have your eyes lifted and fixed on the Ascended Prince? I think it's a question that all of us have to ask, but I think that the question that I'm asking in the context of Luke's record can seem a bit irrelevant to us. Some of us can be saying, when I'm saying all of these things, yes, I can see how the apostles dealing with arrests and beatings. I can hear about... Christians in foreign countries having to undergo a certain level of persecution where maybe this would make sense to me, where I would need to do what you're saying and to, and to carry that vision from day to day. I would need Christ for hope and to be emboldened and, and to be bold, but I don't really live a life where boldness is appropriate or even necessary. I'm not carrying the kind of cross the apostles carried. Does Christ as exalted prince have any relevance for a person like me? Yes, I boldly move the clothes from the washing machine to the dryer today. I boldly made tacos. I think it's an important question to bring it down into many different kinds of cultures and times and eras on what it would look like to have this kind of hope and boldness. And I'd ask that you would not forget that this word here, though recording extraordinary situations, has everything to do with you. What should your everyday look like? If you're not able to see the connection between doing mundane tasks and this, then you're missing what Christ has told us about each person's life. Not just those who are extraordinary. All of us ordinary folk. 
The answer that we've been given throughout almost every single sermon as we are going through Acts is been recorded for you or has been recorded for you on the front of your bulletin. In all of your various vocations, in all of the callings, both individually and together, you are to be devoted to the pursuit of Scripture. You are to be devoted to the pursuit of prayer and fellowship and worship in order to reach our community for Jesus Christ. Everything that you do is to have that taste to it. It is to be a part of those devotions and have each of those facets in it. And let me ask you, as we think about not just the extraordinary moments within the church, but as you see throughout the scriptures and even in earlier passages, the early church living out its churchly existence, what motivated them in the ordinary existence of the church? What motivated them to keep attending to the apostolic teaching and devoting themselves to it as they gathered to hear them teaching in the temple? What motivated them to keep doing that? What motivated them to keep praying, whether it was in the upper room or the continuation of that prayer? What motivated them to a deep fellowship and a deep worship? All of the ordinary people, there were 5,000 people finally that were gathered. We don't hear a bunch, we don't hear 5,000 extraordinary cases. What were all the ordinary people doing? It says they were doing the exact same thing and relying upon the exact same thing that the apostles were in their extraordinary moments. They were relying on the fact that God the Father has exalted Jesus Christ to his right hand as Prince and Savior. That's why they are devoted to these things. They come before Christ. Their devotion sometimes was extraordinary, selling property. But most of the time, the ordinary devotion of ordinary men and women was just that. It was ordinary, but it was upon the same foundation that the apostles were working in in boldness. Why did they keep living in that devotion? Because they really believed. They had faith. They had faith. This is what we're talking about. If you have grown up in the church for a long time, and people have always talked to you about having faith or... Do you have faith? Or that's not a part of my faith? Or this is a part of my faith? This is faith. Faith is believing that God the Father has raised Jesus Christ to his right hand in his ascension, has made him prince and savior, and that this changes everything in your life in every area of what you will do. Like an animal in the Serengeti, you will look up and you will be oriented in everything you do by this fact of his resurrection and his ascension. Even while you are moving the wet laundry into the dryer. Even while you're making tacos or fake tacos which have lentils. <laughs> Why do you devote yourself to the instruction of the Holy Scripture in how you conduct yourself as a mom or a newlywed or a coworker? or a grandfather, or a deacon, or whatever it is? Why do you keep day after day devoting yourself to these things? Why do you devote yourself to deep fellowship at Severn Run, for example? Why do you devote yourself to continued prayer? The answer is the same as it has been. 
The answer is because God has exalted Christ to his right hand to be prince and savior. And this prince, through his spirit, has said to you, devote yourself to me in all of these ways that constitute a churchly existence, no matter what the cost is, and you will never regret it. Build your life upon me. I am a rock. And you can build upon me and the house will not fall. That's the, those are the kind of things he says to you. And as you begin to live boldly in that truth and afflictions come, he comes at you with another word and he says, blessed are the meek because they are the ones that will inherit this earth. And he will say, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. This is quite the vision. And we have quite the God who in his wisdom has chosen in his ordination to run things in a way where we can analogously see them through the Lion King. But it is just a step. The Lion King is the first step on a set of steps rising to the top of the temple that we may see by faith, perhaps in the way that the prophets and the apostles have told us the same story. It is a story that involves everyone in this room, every tongue and tribe and nation. No matter what your various callings as a Christian, whether you are a mother or a father or a teacher or a widow, or you're all of those things at one time somehow, you can't be a mother and father at the same time, but you know what I mean. This is the reality that we see within the Scriptures. The sun rises. We're not a part of a story where there's just rain coming down. The prince stands on the rock outcropping, exalted above the world. And his people, from every continent, just this morning, are gathered beneath him, looking to him with all faith, looking to him with all hope, and looking to him with all love. That is your existence. That gathering before him continually, that is how we will remain bold. I want you to picture yourself there instead of the antelope. I want you to picture yourself beneath the Christ, looking up at the outcropping, see Him by faith. And this is what the words from your mouth must be, as He has told you what it means to be His follower. You will reply in chorus, and you will raise your arms to Him, and you will say, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. I hang on all of your words. And you can see the devotion of heart in that. And there will be a chorus that rises up where we say, we do not live by our own power. Our wisdom is exhausted. And so we must be devoted to you in prayer. Steadfastly, 
In you are all our hopes that you would hear us and that you would act. And we are devoted to you as our head. And we understand that you as a head, you have a body which is your church. And we take our local place in your church seriously. We will take care of each other as we await for you. All of our lives are a sacrificial offering to you. We gather corporately every Lord's Day because it is your day. And we need to see the vision of the end. This is our eschatological moment. In our churchly existence, we depend upon you that we would be a light to all of the nations. And we enter back into prayer at that point, don't we? Crying out to our Christ to please gather more that they may not have His wrath visited upon Him. That they would kiss Him before He becomes furious. And the time of waiting is over. And the great news, and that we can see throughout the Scriptures, is as we are gathered underneath of Him, and we say these devotions to Him, He replies by His Spirit in His Word, and He tells us, stay bold. Persevere in devotion. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Believe what I tell you, even if it is against your eyes. I am your prince. I am the origin of all good things. I am the arche who is working now. I am the author. I will be the finisher. And I'll be coming quickly. And we say, Amen. Even so, come, Prince Jesus. Let's pray.